JB, my man, thank you. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. One of the most trusted name brands in America is being held liable for its role in the opioid crisis. We have never had a, ju- a, ju- a judicial decision. We have settlements, but never something like this. A judge saying, yes, you broke the law with how you sell your drugs. We have the man behind the fight in Oklahoma and the member of the office who argued the case. Couldn't have better guests. Let's talk about the basis and what this means for the rest of the country. Also, a 2020 high popper. One new poll shows a three-way tie for the lead in the Democratic race. How? We just had the CNN poll. What happened to Joe Biden? Let's get inside this new set of numbers. And a major head-scratcher. The president says he only does what is right. Quote, nothing for politics. So why didn't he show up at one of the most important meetings at the G7 today? And why did the press secretary mislead us about it? One of America's most influential conservative leaders is here to assess the state of play one week until we all celebrate our hard work. What do you say? Let's get after it. You know, I was surprised to hear people in the media playing down this decision because the state didn't get the money it wanted. They wanted $17 billion over 30 years to help deal with the epidemic of opioid addiction. They got $572 million from Johnson & Johnson from a judge. It wasn't a jury trial. It was a bench trial. It was a judge. And it makes history in Oklahoma and, in fact, in this country. It could have major implications all over America for other drug makers. Think about it. If other people get addicted, it's on you if you sell it the wrong way. This is the first case of its kind We've never had anything like it before. There are 2,000 similar cases pending nationwide. So let's bring in the men at the center of this, okay? We have the Oklahoma Attorney General, Mike Hunter, and the lead counsel who successfully argued the case for the state, Brad Beckworth. Gentlemen, thank you for being with us on Primetime. Good to be with you, Chris. Thank you. All right, so AG, let's talk policy, uh, and then uh, Counselor Beckworth will get into what changed. Because i got to tell you, as a lawyer... Uh, the nuisance law kind of threw me. Uh, but when we look at this from a policy perspective, A.G., why did this case matter and what is the statement it makes to America? The statement it makes to America is if you can put a team together that's talented, that's committed, that's courageous, that's willing to spend two years plowing through the records of this monstrous company, I think their market cap's over $300 billion dollars, And you're willing to go to court, you're willing to face off with the legal team that they put together, and I guarantee you they spent millions of dollars on their legal team, you can win. And so I'm very proud of my team. Uh, We proved to the the judge, Chris, Mm -hmm. that Johnson & Johnson was the cause of the epidemic. Uh, They were behind the stream of commerce from the start to the finish. Uh, Their poppy farm in Tasmania furnished 60% of the active pharmaceutical ingredient for the rest of the industry. They misrepresented their products. They misrepresented the industry's products. Mm. Uh, They mismarketed their products. And the judge has held them responsible. Uh, We're going to be able to put almost a billion dollars to this problem in Oklahoma with the other two settlements. So we're happy with the verdict. Obviously, we would have liked more. uh, But we're very happy with the judge, again, finding that Johnson & Johnson was culpable for what's happened in Oklahoma. A.G., two big terms that came out of this, uh, and then we'll get to the strategy in court. What they call the defendants 
pseudo addiction. And it is this really just such a a wicked dynamic that you guys outlined uh, in court, convincing doctors that patients who exhibited signs of addiction, like asking for higher doses of opioids um, or came back early, you know, and used up the prescription before they were supposed to, they weren't actually suffering from addiction, but from the under treatment of pain. So they should give them more. And they told doctors, don't fall into the addiction ditch. Avoid negatives like using the word addiction and emphasize the positive of supposed efficacy. What do you see behind those terms and what was really going on here? Well, I'll give you a couple of terms, Chris, devious and diabolical. Mm. What was happening here is they made a decision that there was an opportunity for them to make billions of dollars off of misrepresenting these drugs, brainwashing physicians, uh, using pseudoscience and trumped up studies. And then they go even further to push back against doctors who are seeing addiction, calling it pseudo-addiction, and telling them to prescribe more. Mm -hmm. They knew damn good and well what they were doing to Americans and Oklahomans. They just couldn't afford to stop. Right. And you didn't argue in the case. Very interesting. Uh, Very important to note this. Um, Brad Beckworth, counselor, thank you for being with us as well. Um, Hey, we don't need opioids. Opioids don't work. There's no such thing as pain. You know, it's all real. And we need pain treatment. We need different medicines. But it's about how often they're used and and what they are told uh, to doctors from these companies. Now, you used a very interesting legal theory here. Nuisance. Uh, When people think nuisance law, you know, for for the uninitiated non-lawyers here, they're thinking your dog is too loud. Uh, You know, what you did with your fence, uh, how you play your music. You know, you're bothering my enjoyment, my peaceful enjoyment of my property. How does this involve nuisance? Well, thanks, Chris. We appreciate all your work. And look, we can answer that with two things. One, Oklahoma law just doesn't require the use of property when you're talking about nuisance. Some states do uh, do that, but Oklahoma very clearly doesn't. One of the elements uh, of a nuisance in Oklahoma is conduct that offends decency. And, you know, we've prosecuted tobacco companies, you name it, we've done it. Uh, Sexual molesters in the clergy, all kinds of conduct. I've never seen conduct that rises to the level of what J&J did here. Every time a sales rep came into the state of Oklahoma and talked to doctors, 150,000 times they denied their drugs were addictive. But at trial, we forced Johnson & Johnson to admit that they never did a study to show how addictive their drugs are. They didn't know whether it was 0% or 100%. One of their witnesses said it's 100%. One of their experts, we found a videotape of him saying it was as high as 25%. So, you know, Chris, if you or your family went to talk to your doctor and said, look, I had uh, chronic back pain and I want to take an opioid, what's my chance of getting addicted? What you'd want your doctor to say is say, Chris, this is a tough decision. We don't know. The science is still out there and maybe you'll get addicted. Maybe you won't, but it's as high as 25 to 100 percent. But that's not what happened here. Mm. Uh, They lied and said it was zero. And on the pseudo addiction thing, I mean, one of the things that J&J funded was a book that came out into Oklahoma. They led doctors to believe that if someone came in and said, look, my kid is stealing my prescription drugs, and what do I do? Uh, If the kid said he was still in pain, they called that pseudo addiction. Right. They told doctors and policy leaders that when you got to things like sex trafficking and prostitution, 
to get your opioids, that might be addiction. Right. It really oh, reminds. Just, that offends DC. It reminds of the days when we used to be talking about antidepressants, and they said, don't say side effects, say unintended consequences. Uh, and a lot of this can be very deceptive. Now, they feel confident, J&J, because they believe that nuisance law is, is such an unusual application that they may be able to beat it. But the underlying facts and what this judge says he believed tells a story that goes far beyond what is just clear in the nuisance statute. A.G., Councilor Beckworth, thank you both uh, for being with us. Mike Hunter, Brad Beckworth, we will follow this because the implications are huge. Thank you, gentlemen. Good luck going forward. Thanks, Chris. Thank you very much. All right. Months hanging out solo at the top. The former VP Joe Biden's got some company. If you're listening to the Monmouth poll, this new poll has a three-way tie. I don't get it. So you know what that means. Time for a better brain. The professor is here. Professor Brownstein will help us understand what happened next. All right. You have to follow the race to the end because you never know when things can change. We got evidence of that new polling from Monmouth University, a three way race at the top. Obviously, Sanders, Warren and Biden. Now, What is the real big anomalous factor in this particular poll? Biden. The other two numbers size up with what we just saw in the CNN poll. Not Biden's. Let's get some insight from the professor, Ron Brownstein. Ron, so help me understand. Is this about methodology or is this about a change in the actual mechanics of the election? Uh, I think it's probably some of both. I mean, Monmouth is a good pollster. Yes. This is one poll. It's a relatively small sample, 300. Uh, And as you note, and not only the CNN poll, but a Fox poll and a Pew poll, uh, roughly the same period of mid-August, had a similar result with Biden somewhere around 30, uh, Warren usually in second, and and Bernie uh, Sanders just behind her. I would say that the magnitude of this may be somewhat questionable, that they're, that they're all even at this point. But the direction is probably right, right? Which Wait, is the hold Warren on a second. Let's take one gaining. step sideways. Yeah. Because this is the one part I don't get. Our Helier, it's a smaller sample. It's all about who they ask. And maybe they got yeah. a different concentration of um, who people want. Right. Except the numbers for Warren and Sanders are kind of like what we've been seeing in all the other polls. Only Biden is different. How do you explain that? Right. Right. Well, the sample is a little younger, among other things. I saw it probably had fewer older voters, and that's where Biden's uh, strength is when compared to the 2016 actual primary electorate voting. But like any, you know, the the idea that any single poll, uh, you know, is is the reality and and is measuring a change from the polls just just weird a week later, right? It's just it's just exactly. It's weird a week later. I think you can say pretty clearly looking at the crowds over the weekend and everything else. Elizabeth Warren is gaining ground. Bernie Sanders has an audience. He seems to be holding it, maybe building on it again a little bit. And Joe Biden is drifting down after his initial start. Now, whether he's really down to 19 percent, I don't know. But I think it is reasonable that the trajectory that this poll uh, identifies is is, you know, is happening. I'm not sure about the magnitude. What what do you think about this? As always, feel free to better decide. Um, But uh, look, obviously, if you're in Biden's camp, you don't want to see his numbers go down. But his story doesn't change. He's about electability and stability and a return to normal. I don't get how Warren and Sanders stay being so nice to each other. And I'm not Mm -hmm. advocating for animus in politics. We have enough of that. But only one of these two people can fill that lane. Warren's starting to get more and more crowd size. Bernie's starting to attack us, which is the better indicator. 
Yeah. Uh, look, I, I think that, you know, there are some differences in their support, but you're right uh, that essentially what we're for Warren, what we are seeing is that she is a candidate right now who is strongest with college educated white liberals. Uh, and that is a role that has been filled by a long line of candidates going back to Gene McCarthy in 68, to Gary Hart in 84, to Paul Songas in 92, to Bill Bradley in 2000, to Howard Dean in 2004. None of them have won the nomination. All of them have kind of fallen short because they were unable to reach out beyond that uh, Starbucks ghetto, if you want to call it that, uh, and and appeal to some of the other constituencies in the Democratic Party, in particular to African-American voters. And that is still a big challenge for her. Biden is best among older and moderate whites and African-Americans at the moment. That has been more of what yeah. I have called in the past the beer track candidate. Warren is more of the classic wine track uh, candidate. Um, and Biden, Biden's problem is that in those first two states, Iowa and New Hampshire, heavily white, a lot of college-educated mm. liberals, they don't play to his strengths. Uh, he's he's stronger as you go along into March and you get to some of those diverse states, particularly uh, in the South. So we could see a very familiar kind of divide. And I think it is ultimately the onus remains on Warren to show that for all of her strength, any place where there are a lot of white college liberals like Seattle, where she drew 15,000 people over the weekend, she's going to be very strong. But traditionally, that has not been enough to win. Hmm. So you got the wine track, you got the beer track for Professor beer Brownstein. Track, it's the Aperol Spritz. A weird drink, but he pulls it off. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ron. Always. All right. Thanks, I want to open it up for debate. If a progressive, whatever that means these days, right? We're going to have to play with the labels also. But if Warren wins the Democratic Party, what does that mean for the party in going head to head with Trump? What do you think? Is electability still what Joe Biden wants it to be? Look at this lineup for the great debate. Let's get after it. two cents so everybody else gets a chance to make it in this country. Two cents. Two cents. There we go. Two cents. All right. That was the rallying cry at Elizabeth Warren's latest campaign event to date, according to her team. A stark contrast to the smaller, arguably more intimate events being held by the former VP Joe Biden. His biggest selling point has been electability. Now, polls are just a snapshot of a moment. They're just a suggestion. But this Monmouth poll, maybe it does skew younger. Maybe the smaller sample size does make a difference. But if you have all three of these people knotted up at the top, Biden, Warren, Sanders, what does it mean for this party? That's the start of tonight's great debate with Anna Kasparian and Anna Navarro. It's great to have you both. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That's All a right. lot of Annas in your life. Hey, look, I'll take it. More <laughs> Anna, more better. So uh, this is the thing. Let's not play with methodology and all that. I just did that with Ron Brownstein. Let's just deal with the fundamentals of what this means inside the party. Uh, Anna, if it's, uh, Navarro, if it's about uh, electability, Biden has been showing pretty solid strength, but Warren has been growing. Bernie Sanders is always there. Is electability still pointing to Joe Biden and why? Look, practically every poll I've seen about electability shows that any of the Democrats on the top can beat Donald Trump. And so that does not help Joe Biden. The, the, what Joe Biden has going for him is that he appeals to people like me, to disenfranchised Republicans, to centrist, to independents, to right-leaning independents. That is his, you know, ace in the hole right now. That is his big card mm -hmm. to play. 
But I will also tell you, I think Elizabeth Warren is growing on people. She has shown a work ethic during this campaign that is impressive. And she knuckles I, up. I can just talk to a you about... A lot of Democrats, as you know, every time we're on location, the Democrats are in fight mode. They're always saying they want a fighter. Who's our fighter? Right. She, she knuckles up. And, and that's something that we're seeing. We'll see what happens on the debate stage. And again, I'm always going and slow she on this stuff. She, she hustles. hustles. She's working hard. Hustles. She's showing yeah. energy. You know, all that stuff that we just put labels on. But it can matter to people. All right, so... Anna, the other Anna, uh, Kasparian, I call you uh, by your last name as a term of endearment. I like it, yeah. I do that a lot. Everybody calls me Cuomo. It just works. Uh, so mm-hmm. the idea that they're catching up to him, you still have a problem because you have a bifurcated race in that other lane. You have Warren and Sanders. And I'm not looking, again, I'm not looking for animus. We have enough of it. But I don't know how they can both stay so friendly. Yes, yes, their bases are a little different, Warren and Sanders, but not that different. Actually, I I do think that uh, they differ in various policies. Uh, Bernie Sanders has a track record of leftist policies throughout his entire career. Do you say leftist as a good thing or a bad thing? Leftist is good or leftist bad? I actually think it's a good thing. So I'll give you some specific examples. When it comes to the student student loan debt Mm -hmm. issue, Bernie Sanders is saying, let's not get too overwhelmed with details and complications. We need to cancel student debt. Whereas uh, Elizabeth Warren has certain caveats, certain thresholds that uh, individuals would have to meet in order to get their their debt Mm. canceled. And I think the most important thing to look at is not necessarily the polling among the candidates, but more importantly, the polling when it comes to the specific policy proposals. Mm. And poll after poll indicates that the Democratic base wants to cancel student loan debt. The Democratic base wants a single-payer health care system. I know there have been a bunch of tricky polls in terms of methodology when it, came, when it comes to polling Medicare for All, but if you are specific and you say that individuals would not lose access to their doctors, in poll after poll it indicates that the right. base is in favor of it. So I think that's what's important. All right. So let's change. Let's change the lens here a little bit, which is you're talking policies. And I think that's good. But you also have to prepare for the fight you're going to have. And once you get into the general, Anna, you may never hear the president talk about health care except to say your plan stinks. My plan's going to be the best ever. And by the way, you're a bunch of socialists who want no more ideas of gender or any kind of moral propriety in this country anymore. Uh, and you're for open borders. That's the kind of fight you're going to have. Who gives you the best chance of winning that fight, Anna Navarro? Listen, if you ask me, I think it's Joe Biden. I think there is no doubt that that is You think is he can go toe-to-toe to toe with Trump when Trump's calling him Sleepy Joe and, you know, what do you know? You know, I mean, that, that's the kind of fighter he is. I actually do think he can go to toe-to-toe with Trump because, listen, the guy who's calling Joe Biden Sleepy Joe is, frankly, Sleepy Donald, right, who likes to sit in his bedroom, eat hamburgers, and watch Fox News all day and not do much other than executive time, doesn't like to go to meetings, doesn't like to read briefings, doesn't know the difference between the Kurds and the Kuds. Uh, you know, you talk about Joe Biden making gaffes. How about the gaffes that Donald Trump makes on a daily basis? Yeah, the, the, I'll the tell you what the difference is. Part is. Of the heart. I'll tell he you what the thinks, difference you know, is. There's Charles a difference. Is the Prince of Wales with H. I, I mean, listen, and could... he thinks Melania, the first lady, is good friends with Kim Jong Un, and she's never met him. But here's the difference: exactly. his base doesn't care. He's not going to lose a point. You guys eat your, each other for sport on the left. Well, I know that, you're a Republican. Listen, that's but you guys absolutely eat each other right. For sport. And I, but I do think, I, I do think, that my, my hope is that the lesson that comes out of 2016 for Democrats and for people who want to beat Trump, like I do, is that 
everybody, once this primary on the Democratic side is over, everybody has got to coalesce. It has got to be all hands on deck, mm. and it's got to be all about beating Donald Trump. But will that forget happen? The will Kasparian the get scars, behind Joe Biden? Forget the nostalgia. Get over it and vote for whomever will is running against Trump. Get behind. I will vote for Anna, a stop I know over you will. Trump. One Anna to the other. Will you get behind a Joe sure. Biden? I want Trump out. So I do agree that it's important to support uh, whoever <laughs> ends up winning the Look Democratic. Look how you're backloading uh, it. No, no, no. I'm not backloading it. I mean, I did not like Hillary Clinton as a Democratic candidate. But when push came to shove, the right thing to do was to vote for her. And that's what I did, even as someone who lives in California who could have very easily casted a protest vote. Mm. But let's let's cross that bridge when we get there. And we're I a long way would, from it. Long way. We are. I, I we are a yeah. long way from it. But but I, I just want to quickly talk about or answer the question about who would be the best challenger to yeah. Donald Trump. I mean, look, Biden's got to figure out which state he's in first before before he talks about fighting Donald Trump. I mean, he's campaigning in New Hampshire. He thinks that he's in Vermont. He's had one gaffe after the next after the next. And Biden has this habit. And I think you see this with a lot of established establishment Democrats where he thinks he can work with the right wing and compromise with the right wing. I think that establishment Democrats are really missing the point. We don't want someone who's going to concede to the right wing. We want a fighter. We want someone who's going to make the Republican Party bend to our will because we've been conceding to their side for far too long, far too often. And that has created the type of political climate and the political situation we're dealing with today. No, I hear you both. And I appreciate it very much. It really is a tale of two different wants in that party right now. And it'll be very interesting to see how it develops. Ladies, thank you very much. I appreciate wait, 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 Chris, it's national. Do you know it's national? Oh, boy, oh boy. It's national dog Casparian, day, Casparian, never bring a dog on this show. Do you understand? And Chacha Cardenas wants to say national dog day. Happy national dog day to Alabama what is and on to its Tennessee. Head? What's on her head? A bow that matches my shirt. What's wrong with oh. you? Don't you have, are, are you colorblind? Obviously my fashion sense isn't what it should be. Um, but it's always nice to know she has a dog on her lap the whole time. <laughs> now i got to give Charlie a shout-out. So shout-out to Charlie. That's my first that's love. What, listen, that's what, that's what Donald Trump has turned me into. Now I need an emotional support rodent. <laughs> and if Passing dogs tell the dog. story of the person, Cha-Cha is Anna. I have these two dopey rescue labs at my house, Alabama and Tennessee. That's where they come from. And my brother has a wolf. <laughs> so if dogs tell you who somebody is... You can see that I got some work to do. Very much now thanks we're all to both of here. you. Take care. <laughs> all right, so the president is now home, all right? And look, he made noise at the G7. He did what he does best. He was disruptive. Was it for the better or for the worse? We had this problem with this environment meeting that he skipped. Why? Why did he skip an important climate crisis today? Why did they kind of mislead us? No, they kind of lied. They definitely misled us. Let's talk about the state of play. One of his staunchest supporters, one of the biggest conservative voices in the country. Brother Matt Schlapp is here. Let's get after that next. America first, Russia second. This weekend, the president of the United States made time to campaign to have Russia readmitted into the G7. By the way, Russia was launching missiles right near the NATO border during the G7. Now, just as interesting as what this president didn't have time for, a crucial meeting on the climate crisis. Let's bring in Brother Matt Schlapp to talk about this. Always good to have you on primetime. Thank you, sir. Good to be here, Chris. This isn't about whether or not there is global warming. You know, I accept the science on that. What I don't understand is the methodology of the president's uh, decision here. You don't want to go 
because you don't believe in it or you don't want to go for whatever reason, be straight. Why does the press secretary said he had meetings scheduled with two world leaders that were at the meeting? I, I don't know why uh, they said what they said, Chris. I wasn't on the trip. I'm happy he didn't go to the meeting. I actually don't want European leaders telling me that I have to pay more per gallon to fill my truck up with gas or, to, or that the middle class in America has to pay higher home heating bills to heat their houses in the winter. I think their solutions are the wrong solutions. The solutions that they talk about won't have any impact on the temperature uh, around the globe. And I actually think a lot of Americans were just fine with the fact that he said, you know what, I don't agree with what you guys well, are talking let's about. Let's focus on that part. I mean, look, sure. just for the sake of the record, I do not agree with your analysis that making those kinds of changes that would deal with carbon emissions wouldn't make a difference because that is what's causing the problem. But let's put the well, science aside. Ever, tell me how, tell us how much the temperature will be impacted by the solutions wow. they listen, propose. You notice they never listen, do Listen, on, on the back of a bottle of aspirin, it doesn't tell you how much your fever will come down if you take it, but you still take it because it reduces your fever, right? Because in so most, te- in most cases, exactitude. your fever does come down. In this case, what we have seen with every kind of thing they've formulated, from cap and trade to Al Gore's BTU tax, all it is in the end is making middle-class and poor people pay more for energy and for America to shed manufacturing jobs. It's not no, good for America, and we don't have to listen to European capitalists to tell us what to do. And you can very easily invest in it different businesses to offset it that we shouldn't have, new energy that we shouldn't have, and we don't know whether it works to help Chris, with global any, warming because we haven't tried it. But look, I'll, let, let me just respond to that. I'm for any alternative energy that's economic. I'm for it. And I think that we've seen that with ethanol. There's a role for ethanol to play. There is a role for wind to play. There is a role for solar to play. We need everything. All right. but we also need coal and we also need fossil fuels. And for well, Bernie you Sanders want to, to eventually say, move somewhere. I don't want to talk about Bernie Sanders. Let me just stick with this for a second. Because sure. he, he, I, this is a fundamental problem I have. And I think it's a fundamental problem that you and guys on your side of the line have, which is you want to talk about policies and all this. You want to be taken seriously, integrity, credibility. You wouldn't say something like what he just said, what the press secretary said. So you can't just slide over it. They lied to us about why he didn't go to the meeting. I don't know. He, but, I don't but, know but why I know, he, I'm not asking you why they I don't, lied. I can't look inside. I'm asking you to condemn them for lying because they shouldn't lie to the American people. I'm not going to condemn them for lying. I don't why? have any idea why there was why he didn't go to that meeting. I have no idea. Yeah, but you know that they lied about the reason that he didn't well, go. Why do I get to be the person that determines whether someone who else speaks is lying or not? An excellent question. Here's That's why. That's not really what Here's I'm, why, because you're a leader of conservative thought. My judgment. Thought. No, of course it is. You, you do judge people all the time. You are a leader of conservative thought in this, com- in this country, and part of the building block of your conservative philosophy, you tell me all the time, is integrity, credibility, and character. Right. And if they I just they lied were, about Chris, why he I didn't thought, go to the meeting. If I thought they were lying about something like this, how I'd could call they not be it. lying? He's, they said he was Have in a meeting ever, with two other people who were at the meeting that he skipped. I don't know why he was. Maybe he didn't know the meeting was at that time. I don't know. You know, most of the work, just so that listeners understand, on these uh, summits, most of the work does not happen around the official table. Most of the concrete, nah, a, uh, most of the concrete on. successes on, 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 on. happen unofficially. For instance, you're Matt, not talking on, about the fact they had that a we meeting. can have a bilateral trade agreement with Japan. Shinzo Abe and the president are getting along great. Boris Johnson and the president are getting along great. There's a spin the out of this meeting that somehow it's all a disaster with no, these world leaders. It's not accurate. I'm just saying just don't lie. Don't say you had meetings with Merkel and Modi so you couldn't go. And then Merkel and Modi are, are we, at, the, at the meeting. Just I just don't lie. I feel like people shouldn't lie. I also feel they like they shouldn't lie, not people. <laughs> the no president, one should lie. The press secretary. No one should lie unless you're doing it to like save someone's feelings or something, or it's national no. security. And I don't know why he didn't go to this meeting. I'm perfectly. Why happy won't you he didn't say the they meeting. shouldn't have lied? We're better than this. 
D- don't put words in my mouth. I'm, I'm doing hey, you a favor. About, how about the fact that I think that the coverage of this summit should be more responsible? I'm not calling the coverage lying, but I'm saying it should be more responsible. There were plenty of good things that came out of it. Well, I'd love I'm not to see saying a trade deal with came Japan. Out of it. I'm saying I don't like the White House lying to the American people. It makes it very I, hard to talk about policy. Chris, I don't, like, I don't like it when Andrew McCabe lied either. And so He's I don't think president. that we should... What'd you say? He's he not was my president. He was the deputy he was director punished. of the FBI. And he was punished He's for getting lying. rewarded, too. Oh, why? Because he works at CNN? Well, I'm just saying, you shouldn't get on your high horse about who's lying and not lying. Why I don't not? know. I don't have some <laughs> kind of magical machine to know when someone's lying hey, or not Matt, lying. If I said, I, I can't have you on the show tonight. Turns out that, you know, X and B were available and neither is on the show and I don't have you on. You'd call me and you'd be like, I would. What the heck? Why'd you I lie? Would. But you won't say it about him. And I think it's a big problem for you guys. You're because calling, there are people who would take you're you seriously. You're calling the press secretary won't. a liar. Yes. And I'm not going to do that. I know. Why? Because there could have, they could have just been confused. It could have just been a simple mistake. Like, there Melania's could have been a really good friends with Kim Jong-un and they've never met. Come on, man. He's just lying to people for effect. I don't see how it helps the conservative cause to embrace it or to ignore it and therefore empower it. Chris, all I will tell you is that you guys will stay here all day long about all the things you think the president says that you find to be what you use the word lie. I think what's important out of the summit to understand is that the American president said Mm -hmm. to these European capitals, these European leaders, We're going to do what's best for America. And I think most people in America think that's the right thing for the president to do. He can argue whatever he wants. But he also said to them that Russia should be let back into the G7 at the same time, making it the G8, obviously. At the same time, they were bombing right near NATO. They still have Crimea. That's why they were kicked out. Not that President Obama kicked them out. You know that that's not accurate. They interfered in our election. And he wants to reward this guy. I don't think he wants to reward this guy. But I think what President Trump believes is that with our adversaries around the globe, just like with uh, Kim Jong-un and with uh, 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 the premier in China. Uh, He wants to deal with them. Uh, He wants to sit down and talk with them. It's controversial. A lot of Republicans don't like that approach. They think there should be world leaders that we just kind of give an arm's length treatment to. He has a different view. Look, and his reelection is going to come down to these big bets. Did he do the right thing vis-a-vis China in taking them on, or didn't he? The American voters are going to decide that. Did he do the right thing in putting a hand out to go meet literally in North Korea with, uh, with Kim? Or are these the right decisions? Are these the wrong decisions? The American people are going to make that decision. The lying think, is going to come up also, by the way. It's going to be a character contest as well. It's going yeah, to be but, an identity politics election, and who he is is going to be a big part of it. I think the key thing that you, you miss with that kind of coverage is look at the words and look at his policies. You're right. You're trying you to find every foible. And what you're going to forget is that the American people will make a judgment on Donald Trump, not to his accuracy level. They're going to make wow. a judgment on I Donald that's Trump as to whether or not they like his policies. But I agree with you. We should not pick out every foible. In fact, in the closing tonight, I was trying to remember some things. And the kinds of horrible things that he said that I've already forgotten just show how the sheer volume of it makes it impossible to track. But Matt Schlapp, you are always welcome here to make the arguments to my audience. And I appreciate you taking the questions. Thanks for having me on. Be well. All right. The NFL regular season doesn't start until next week. But there's already a huge story about who won't be on the field. Did you hear about Andrew Luck? Beautiful quarterback. Maybe even a more beautiful person. D. Lemon and I discuss why next One of the best quarterbacks in the league, 29-year-old Andrew Luck from the Colts, is done with football. Fans are not happy. 
The Colts owner says that Luck is likely walking away from nearly half a billion dollars. He's probably already made like $100 million. But it is why he's walking away that I want to discuss with D. Lemon. Let's bring him in. Here's what I find so impressive. For a man who is like an archetype of a man's man in our culture, right? He's walking like away because the opposite of you. The, he's pain, injury, and then rehab to get over it. And the cycle, it's too much. Yeah. And I am so proud of him for standing up and saying things that men aren't supposed to say. Mm-hmm. It hurts too much. I keep getting hurt. The pain is unbearable. You know, the rehab cycle. I don't want to live this way. I dig it. Um, well, I wish we had a point of disagreement, but we don't. I feel the same way. And you listen, you and I talk about this all the time, especially in this environment. How much more do you need? How much more money does he need? He's already done very well. How, you know, who needs, why, why do people need such big homes? How, why do you need a bigger house? Why do you need more money? At a certain point, enough is enough. Mm. And the man has had enough. And he has realized for the lifestyle that he wants to live, for the amount of time uh, and energy he wants to give to his family and himself, that it is... It's the best he, move for him. He should have done it at move. the end of the season instead of the beginning of the season because he kind of puts the team in a bad position. Well, but that's, that's about football. Yeah, but he's I'm find not going to fault him for that. Maybe this is just the moment that he needed, and it was maybe he was... Maybe he thought that uh, maybe I can get through this and I can get you know through the yeah. season. And then at that moment, something clicked and he and said, look, I can't, I can't even it. imagine it because, you know, I only played like little boy ball. And I'll tell you, <laughs> getting hit by, you know, refrigerator, you know, Toyotas. You know, these yeah. guys are hundreds of pounds and running at 20 miles an hour. I want to ask you about something else while I have yeah, you. Sure. I am blown away by this decision in Oklahoma about the opioids. Oh, yeah. You know, because when you look at what they said, this company was telling doctors, hey, when people say that they want more of that stuff and they seem like they're addicted, oh, no, no, no. They're being undertreated. You have to give them more. And don't fall into that addiction ditch, Doc. You know, don't, don't even use that word. It's really about efficacy. We don't say addiction. Addiction is actually, it needs more of the drug. Yeah. They proved they were saying that stuff. These companies have to be held responsible. This is disgusting. That is beyond false advertisement. That is beyond deceptive marketing. Fraud. That, yes. And um, I saw the two attorneys on your show, and they, they made, uh, you know, really good arguments, obviously. They went up against some very, very powerful folks mm. uh, and wealthy people, and, you know, they proved their arguments. Now, listen. It went down, what, from, uh, I think it was like $14 billion or $17 billion, they got 17. $570 million, But that's about the award from the judge. I'm talking yeah. about legal liability, responsibility. Right. That could make all the difference if companies have to think about yeah. being on the hook legally for what they do. Well, I'm going to talk about it. Dr. Sanjay Gupta is going to talk about that with mm-hmm. us uh, coming up in just a little bit. And also, we're going to get the legal part of it from Jennifer Rogers. You know her. You've had her on the show. You've interviewed her. She knows her stuff when it comes to legal. But you know what? I, I'm going to talk to John Kasich about everything that's going on, what happened at the G7 and all the, the mm-hmm. political environment. But you know what I'm really looking forward to? I have a farmer and a manufacturer on, and they're going to talk to us about what the tariffs are doing to them. And it is a story you need to hear, and I think the president probably doesn't want to hear it. Well, it's important for the audience. Good job, my friend. See you. All right. Let's take a quick break. Closing argument. Look, why am I fighting with Matt Schlapp about what the press secretary did and what the White House did? Because it's all got to start with trust and what you're being sold by your leaders. And this president is making a very specific pitch to you that I think he never lives up to. That's the argument. Next. My point with Matt Schlapp was that it all has to start with trust. You don't want to go to the meeting, don't go. But don't give an excuse that you were meeting with two people who were at the meeting that you didn't go to and you said you couldn't go because you were with them. It's lying. Don't do it. 
Now, this president is regularly selling himself as something that he is not, all right, which is an honest-to-goodness expert. Listen to this today. I think I know more about the environment than most people. Really? It is a true deluge of delusions. I know more about ISIS than the generals do, believe me. I know more about courts than any human being on Earth. Nobody knows more about trade than me. I know more about steelworkers than anybody that's ever run for office. Nobody Nobody knows knows more about about construction construction than I do. I know more about drones than anybody. Look, if it were just bragging or a wink at hyperbole, okay. But this president acts on his perverse notions in ways that could hurt this country. And arguably, that's what this election will be about. Like what? All right, let's start small. His genius tells him it's okay to make money off the presidency. He wants to hold the next G7 summit at one of his golf clubs. Seriously? His genius led him to say that global warming is a hoax that China created. And then to reportedly suggest nuking hurricanes. Think about that. This president reportedly thought it was a good idea to set off nuclear bombs to combat extreme weather. Is that genius? Then he says he is a legal genius, also suspect. The Washington Post counted. Federal judges have ruled against this White House more than 60 times in just the past two years on everything from the environment to immigration. He's made deregulation part of his sell to the American people. He's only won 6% of the cases involving agency regulations. Other presidents, they win about 70% of the time. More genius. Bring Russia back into the G7 or G8 if they're involved. Putin fires rockets. That's what you're seeing on your screen right now. This was during the G7 summit. He fires them near the NATO border. Okay? That's who he is. That's what he's about. But our president praises Putin, says he's better than Obama, and then botches how Russia got ousted in the first place from the G7. Annexing Crimea is what get them kicked out by a majority. President Obama didn't do it. By the way, Russia still holds Crimea today, And, oh, yeah, is trying to infiltrate our democracy. And this president praises him. That's genius. He released Iran from the only controls that the world had on them. He gifted North Korea's despot with legitimacy, then said the first lady has gotten to know this guy well. They've never even met. He started a trade war with China that now has CEOs reportedly dumping their own stocks. As market fears grow, farmers are feeling the pain. He says it's all part of how he negotiates. Please remember, he went bankrupt a lot and most often was negotiating with creditors in busted businesses. You would know where his money comes from if he would show you his taxes. But that type of hiding is apparently part of his genius. And where is the genius in saying things that make the hateful happy? His people swear we've got him wrong about seeing good people on both sides in Charlottesville. He didn't mean that. He condemns white supremacists. Well, you know who else doesn't get it? These guys. This is from a KKK rally in North Carolina. They're carrying a banner that says, help make America great again. You don't see any Obama signs there, do you? You don't see, let's get after it on any of the signs, do you? Diversity is strength. Why are they using his slogan and writing in support of him online? Bottom line. Telling someone you're a genius doesn't make you a genius. In fact, it probably suggests the opposite. But would a genius lie in such easily discoverable ways? 
Would genius convince you that America is best unified by pushing the poison of division, emboldening those who want to see the world in terms of us and them, exclusion over inclusion, as who is less than, and that there's nothing more righteous than indignation? But there is a bad fact against my argument. This president has exhibited what might be fairly assessed as near genius by pulling off an amazing feat of politics. He sold himself to legitimately disaffected voters, many of them were white, middle class, angry at the moneyed class and their perverse plays for power. And I have never seen someone who is guilty of exactly what outrages the same people winds up accepted as a champion for them. And yet in this context, as a leader, I don't think that's genius because I think true genius would be defined as that application of intelligence that promotes a society's virtues, that enlightens, elevates, appeals to our better angels, not to bring out the devil in us all. Thank you for watching. CNN Tonight with D. Lemon starts right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.